0: When I was a young teenager, I really wanted to be a pilot in the military, and I knew it was a long-shot idea, but I put forth some effort to test my abilities and to train myself by applying for a scholarship to go to a flight academy for teenagers. And I was accepted, uh, but as I learned, unfortunately for me, I had two considerable factors conspiring against me. One really came out of nowhere. I was right at the threshold of being too tall, uh, and no one saw it coming. Uh, That and, and being colorblind pretty much nixed my aspirations to be a professional pilot. But I was still allowed to attend this flight academy. And as one begins to learn how to fly, there's a flight instructor who is in the plane with the student pilot. And this instructor's job is to teach and demonstrate and basically show you how to fly. Uh, But also, above all else, this instructor's duty is to keep everyone safe. That is, to keep the plane in the air and get the plane safely back on the ground. And so for me, as someone at the beginning of my flying journey, I needed my flight instructor for two reasons. Sure, I needed him to teach me how to fly, but I also had a very real need uh, for him to keep me safe. There were two truths present at the same time. I needed him, and I also needed to be like him. And so as we segue to John chapter 13, I want to point to the same idea here in the text before us. This text is often the go-to passage on serving. While we certainly do learn a great deal about serving, and we will this morning, uh, there are also other truths that arise out of this passage. As much as this passage teaches us how to serve like our Savior, it also points us to our need for our Savior. We need to be like Jesus, but we also need this Jesus. And so that's our big idea for this morning. Jesus displays his loving humility so that we see our need for him and our need to live like him. We need the Savior who loved us to the ends, and we need the Lord of creation who humbled himself for our sake. And we need the servant to show us how to live life. And so to truly serve and live like Christ, we're going to see this requires love, humility, and actual action. And this love and humility and service is not something that's self-generated out of an independent goodness that we have, but it's really a response to what our Savior has already done. And so whether you serve a great deal and your life is characterized by this service, or you feel like this is something that you struggle with immensely, uh, this passage can exhort and guide all of us in how to be more like Christ. And so to see this most clearly this morning, we find three prompts that guide us in our Christian walk. And these prompts show us our need for our Savior, our need to be like him. And our first one is this, right there uh, in John 13, verse 1, we need to love like the Savior who loved us. So love like the Savior who loves you. So turn with me there, if you're not already, uh, to verse 1 of chapter 13. Uh, And follow along as I read. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We're helped if we briefly talk through the context uh, for this passage that we're just parachuting into this morning. We are in the last days of Jesus's life. Jesus has spent three years doing ministry And his time on earth was drawing to an end. And verse one starts with this temporal statement that the events of today's passage take place right before the Passover meal. And so this means that the prior weeks, uh, Jesus had been in Bethany where Mary had anointed his feet and basically prepared his body for burial. Uh, The prior Sunday, he had made a triumphant entry into Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna. And during this week, Leading up to the Passover meal, he had been doing ministry in Jerusalem and at the temple, each day returning back to Bethany for the night. And so on Thursday, the day of the Passover meal, Jesus and the disciples had just completed the dusty few-mile walk from Bethany to Jerusalem, and they are preparing to eat the Last Supper together. And so chapter 13, verse 1, stands as the introduction to our passage, but really it's an introduction to the rest of the book. Jesus knew that his hour had come, that the time of his sacrifice and his glorification were at hand. He was soon to return to the Father. And so there's a a great deal of weight that comes with the word hour. Jesus knew exactly what it meant. As one scholar put it, Jesus was not trapped into a sequence of events that unexpectedly led to a cross. Jesus knew exactly what it would cost, and he was prepared to love his own all the way to the end. And so the rest of the Gospel of John is really going to show this love. Jesus dearly loved his own. These are his sheep. He had dealt tenderly with them. He had taught them who he was and what he came to do. He loved them greatly, and he was fully prepared to let his love carry him all the way to the cross. And even as his disciples could not clearly see the mission of Jesus, Jesus saw it clearly. He knew he was the Messiah, the Anointed One. He knew that he had come to serve to save his people. And he says in Mark 10.45 that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, this is going to be the greatest display of love in human history. That the God of the universe would love so much that he would willingly die for his rebellious creation to redeem them from their own sin and to save them from eternal death. And so, this is what loving to the end means. Jesus never stopped loving his people. And he knew who his people were, right? In his midst stood men who would flee as soon as he died. A man would deny three times ever knowing him just two days later. A man would even doubt his resurrection. And yet he had a love for them that would put him on a cross for their sake. And so there's two truths that our Savior's love teaches us. First, We are in desperate need of this love. We are in desperate need of God's saving love. As a Christian, your salvation is not based on anything that you have done to make yourself valuable or lovable. In fact, you were very unlovable. In your prior condition, you were described as a child of wrath, as prideful, arrogant, angry, rebellious, rejecting God. And the story of the fall and the rest of the testimony of Scripture exposes humanity's problem. This is the problem that you shared in, that our sin, which comes from our own nature, makes us reject everything that is good and of God. And so, Christian, it's very good to be reminded that we were in this position, unloving and unlovable. And it's only by God's love, His marvelous love that He unilaterally acts upon, Only by this love are we called out of darkness and into light, out of sin and into his grace. And so he loved us while we were still sinners. It wasn't because we were especially cute or we had great theology. It wasn't because we did the right things. It was because of his love and his mercy. And so as we look at verse 1 and we see that he loved his own all the way to the end, we need to know that this is because of God's grace In mercy friend if you're here this morning and you're not sure that you've personally about to say our God is a loving God he delights in showing his love he loves to save sinners God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life That's what you need. You need salvation. You need a Savior to save you from the burden of your sin and your guilt. And this is what Jesus did. He died in the place of sinners, and he took the punishment for their sins. And so you don't need to make yourself more lovable. You don't need to do more things to be a better person. You can't do that. You need to be saved from your sin. And so Jesus loves his sheep all the way to his death on the cross because they needed to be saved. And his love for them meant that he would die for them. And so today he's offering, right, to you to turn to him and to accept his love. So consider these words today and repent and trust in in desperate need of God's saving love. Here's the second. This love teaches us how to love. This love teaches us how to love we need to be loved by Jesus in this way, but we also need to love like Jesus. And so what characterizes Jesus' love? There's two qualities that stand out. Jesus takes the initiative with his love, and Jesus is sacrificial with his love. And so if we want to love like Jesus, we need to take some cues here. So first, Jesus took the initiative with his love. That is, he loved first. 1 John 4.19 says, we be love because he first loved us. And so, if we want to model our love after the love of our, love of our Savior, we should also willingly love others first. That means our love shouldn't have preconditions. Right? If, if that brother were more lovable, of course I'd love him, but really, he's done nothing so far to earn it. So, this is where we're at. Our love shouldn't have qualifications. Well, as soon as my spouse asks for forgiveness, of course I'll love them. But until then, I'm justified to withhold my love. Right? That's the, the wrong heart. We could also add that thankfully, our Savior didn't put preconditions or qualifications on his love. Right? We would have never qualified. And so if we're going to love like Jesus, we need to take the initiative and love first. And this can be as simple as love overlooking a sin, Right? overlooking an offense but maybe you can be more deliberate with your love so maybe this is going out of your way and and being intentional to greet someone you don't know and love them and share that love of Christ that you have with them and invite them to a lunch or invite them to your home maybe this is knowing that there's somebody who is on the outside who is an outcast and loving them and bringing them into a relationship here at this church Certainly, this means that we need to be praying that we would love others the way God has loved them, the way Jesus shows us this love. Another noticeable quality is that Jesus' love is sacrificial. Jesus went through his life and ministry always intending to love all the way to his death. That purposeful love was costly, and Jesus was fully willing to pay that cost. And so this teaches us that love may not always be easy. In fact, it might actually cost you something. Later, after this Passover meal in John 15, 13, Jesus is going to say this to the the disciples. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so that's not always the opportunity that's put before us to love yet we're still called to to die to ourselves and to show this sacrificial love. So what might it cost? Your energy, your time, your plans, your resources. Maybe it's your comfort or your day off. To love sacrificially is to look at the things you value and gladly give them up for someone else. That's how we show love. And so are you intentional for looking for these opportunities? As we go forward through the rest of the text this morning, we'll see that we need to love like our Savior if we want to be able to serve like he does. This is the first step. And we're only able to do this because he loved us first. Our second prompt is this. Humble yourself like the Lord who humbled himself for you. Humble yourself like the Lord who is humble for you. Jesus' love is displayed in utter humility in the most practical, lowly, it's foot washing. And we'll circle back to verses 2 and 3 in a moment, but see what happens here. Jesus got up from supper in verse 4. He laid aside his garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. In this culture, unlike ours, foot washing was an accepted practice. People walked everywhere, they wore open-toed shoes, it was dusty, it was dirty. And so by the end of the day, your feet would be quite filthy. But even though foot washing was a sense of basic hospitality, it was also quite debasing. Only the lowest of the low were the ones who washed feet. Peers certainly did not wash each other's feet. And so in this culture, those that would wash feet were the women or the children or servants if you had some. And in the Jewish custom, there would even be some that would say that Jews shouldn't wash the feet of other Jews, that this would be reserved for a Gentile servant. And so this menial task is is looked upon as the lowliest thing to do. And it was unheard of for one in authority to wash feet. And yet here Jesus is, the teacher. And he's undressing until he's dressed as a as a servant. And the disciples knew, right? At least some of Jesus' identity after the cross and the resurrection, that it will be fully revealed to them. But even now, right? They had known that he's the Messiah. They knew he was David's heir, the King. They knew of his divinity. They'd seen his power displayed. And for us, as we step back and we can see all of Scripture, we know that this is the Lord of creation, the King of kings. He sits on the throne of God. He commands legions of angels. His word has unfathomable power. He's the Ancient of Days. And here in John, we see his utter humility in washing the feet of his disciples. So who are these disciples? Well, we've already seen one of them in the text, Verse 2 introduces Judas, the betrayer, to us. We see that the devil had already put into his heart to betray Jesus. Judas had listened to Jesus' teaching. He had witnessed the miracles. And yet his heart had turned, and he was resolved to betray Jesus and reject him. And Jesus also already knew this. But at this point, the rest of of the disciples do not know. And in fact, they trust Judas. Judas is the treasurer. Uh, And when Jesus tells them at the Last Supper that one of them is going to betray him, they don't all go and point at Judas. They think it's themselves. And so we see Jesus here trusting the Father's sovereign plan, even if that means lovingly washing the one who would betray him. Who were the other disciples? Well, they were men who had followed Jesus because he called them. And Jesus had spent time with them, teaching them, caring for them, loving them. And yet these were men that also bickered with one another. They didn't always understand Jesus' teachings. They were fearful during the storm. They they doubted Jesus' ability to provide for them. They argued who would be the greatest. And they also had dirty, gross, stinky man feet. And here is the Son of God the ruler of the universe, getting on the ground to wash their feet. And in a most profound way, he's going against custom to show his love and care for them in a way they don't even know. And this was certainly confusing to the disciples. As Jesus went man to man, cleaning their feet, the level of discomfort was rising in the room. And I'm sure you would be uncomfortable too. Inherently, most of us do not like it when someone utterly humbles themselves at their expense for us. There was a story that I heard while preparing for this sermon. Uh, A seminary had a a week long service trip to help out a ministry that they were connected with, and the president of the seminary went on this trip with the students. In midweek, he asked one of the students how they liked the trip so far, how was it going? And the student responded by saying, it's great. It's going great. But you know what? The bathrooms are really disgusting. They're almost too gross to use. The next morning, that same student happened to be out on a walk past the bathrooms. And who did he see? The president of the seminary on his hands and knees cleaning the bathroom. Can you imagine the uncomfortable feeling that just settled on that student? It's the wash of shame and realization. You go, ah, yeah, I could have done that. I should have done that. Well, this is surely how the disciples feel. It's first confusion as to what's happening. And as they realize what Jesus is doing, there's just an awkwardness as they examine their own love and the love that they have for one another and what it would take for them to serve like this. Well, amongst the disciples, there was one who has never hesitated to speak his mind. He knew the custom. He knew that it shouldn't be the teacher washing the student's feet. He knew that it shouldn't be the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so as Jesus works his way around to him, Peter, speaking from a pricked conscience and from embarrassment, says in verse 7, Lord, do you wash my feet? And the emphasis is very much on the you and the my. You are going to wash my feet? And Peter is implying that it should be the other way around. If anyone was going to wash feet, it should not be Jesus. And so Jesus responds to Peter's question with an answer that raises the stakes beyond the present situation. What you don't realize, what you don't understand, you will later. And Jesus is not just talking about foot washing, but talking about his love being displayed here and ultimately being displayed on the cross. And so the question is, does Peter understand Jesus' love and Jesus' mission? Well, Peter's going to double down. Never shall you wash my feet. This is the, the strongest negation in Greek. Never, ever shall you wash my feet. You shall not suffer this social outrage. And so Peter, in his desire to honor Jesus, slips right into the student instructing the teacher. And so Peter's trying to tell Jesus how to act as the Son of God. And so Jesus responds again, If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. This now goes beyond foot washing. Jesus is saying, Peter, do you want to have a part with me? Do you want to share with me? Do you want to be joined to and connected to my work and my purpose and my love? Do you want to have fellowship with me? Peter, if you can't get your mind around this practical act of love and humility, you're really not going to understand the cross. And so Peter sees it now, at least partly. And the part he understands makes him enthusiastically exclaim, Jesus, if washing is the way to be connected to you, then don't wash my feet. Just wash all of me. I'm all in right now. And so Jesus is going to take some time then to explain this. Verses 10 and 12 reveal the the full picture of what Jesus is teaching Peter and the disciples through this visible illustration of humble service. So verse 10, Jesus says, he who has bathed needs only To wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. In other words, speaking in metaphor, Jesus is now talking about salvation, his, his work on the cross, his blood shed for his people. It makes them clean. If you're a believer right here, right now today, this is true of you. By accepting the word of Jesus, by repenting of your sin and placing your faith in him, you are cleansed of your sin because his blood has washed you white as snow. So you require no further cleansing. Your sins are forgiven. And you have fellowship with God. And you are free to enter his presence with joy and confidence. Jesus humbled himself to death on the cross. And his point to Peter is that that cross sacrifice is enough. There's nothing that needs to be added or done. Certainly for the Christian, right, there is ongoing repentance in the life of a believer. And this reflects that once and for all sacrifice that's already been accomplished. To really hammer that point home at the end of verse 10 and 11, we see that Judas is not clean. He's rejected Christ. He's rejected Christ's work for him, his his humble sacrifice on his behalf. He's rejected what Christ has has offered. No part with Christ, no fellowship, and no salvation. So what can we learn from these verses? There's a lot there, and then we could spend a whole morning diving into it. But it helps us if we narrow our focus in on this idea of humility and pride. We needed a humble Savior. The disciples and Peter probably don't fully comprehend this here in the moment, but Christ is going to humble Himself way beyond the idea of foot washing. Philippians two six and seven says, "He made Himself nothing and took the form of a servant, born in the likeness of man." Hebrews two seventeen says, "He was made like his brothers and." respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. Jesus willingly humbled himself so that he could take the punishment of our sin in our place. That's why Paul goes there in Philippians 2 to teach about humility. If Jesus did this for us, we can do it for one another. And that means battling the pride that prevents us from serving. And so as we consider this point, there's really two sides of the coin of pride. On the one side, we have the pride that refuses to serve. And on the other side, we have the pride that refuses to be served. The pride that refuses to serve is the heart that refuses to love. Think back to the disciples. There was a pride that held them back from serving everyone else. Maybe they had a fear, right? If I wash everyone's feet, maybe I'll be stuck as the foot washing guy. Or maybe it was bitterness. Can you believe that that guy said he'd be the greatest? Yeah, I'll wash some of these feet, but I'm not washing his. Or maybe it was just arrogance. Whatever it was, there was an unwillingness to humbly serve. And that's a a love problem. And it's not just a a problem amongst the disciples. It's one that we can see too in our own lives. And so as Christians, pride rears its head when our love is misplaced. Instead of a love for Christ that looks out for others, we have a love for ourselves that looks out for our own benefit. The other side of the pride coin is the pride that refuses to be served. And Peter is an example of this. You're not going to wash my feet, Lord. I don't need help. I don't want someone humbling themselves for me. And maybe it's because you feel that you'd be obligated to return the favor. Maybe it's because you don't want people to know your weaknesses and where your needs are and where you struggle. You might be the person who always pulls away. You always leave early. You don't want to share. You want to be self-sufficient in your Christian life. Well, God's plan for his church is for his people to be together to be a body of members, loving one another, all working together to accomplish his mission. And that means your pride is going to be challenged. You're going to be humbled, when whether it's serving someone else or someone else serving you. And that's a good thing. It reminds us of our king who humbled himself for us. And so let's live like our king by humbling ourselves like him. we now turn to our last prompt in verses 12 through 17. Serve like the servant who serves you. Jesus finishes washing their feet. He gets dressed. He gets back in his place. And he turns to his disciples. Uh, In college, my uh, favorite professors were the ones who asked questions. Uh, and they would do this to determine what we knew, sure, but more often than not, they were just trying to get us to engage in the topic at hand in a different way and think about it from a different angle. And so that's what Jesus does here. At the end of verse 12, he asks a question. Right? He's trying to engage his disciples. Do you understand what I have done to you? He's trying to engage their hearts and their minds, and he's doing the same for us right now. Verse 13 and 14. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus is saying, You know who I am. If I serve in this way, if I love in this way, if I'm humble like this, if I stopped and took time in the last day of my life to serve and care for your physical needs so tangibly then surely you can do the same thing. I to put it another way, uh, as a pastor writes, if you're not willing to serve others, you really do not have the right to call Jesus your teacher and Lord. And that's hard. That's a, a, a harsh thing to say, but it is true. And so the question is, what does this actually look like? Do we actually need to wash another's feet? That's how verse 14 ends. Is this a a literal command? Well, some people in church history have taken it that way. And in one sense, there's nothing wrong with foot washings. But I don't think that's what Jesus is instituting here as an ordinance for the church. And the rest of the New Testament and the early church really don't show any, any indication that foot washings were a part of regular church body life. Additionally, if this was only a literal command then I think that would give us an escape from the enormous ramifications of what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying to literally only wash others' feet. Instead, he's saying, you need to serve in this way. You need to love in this way, to be humble like this, to care for the needs around you like this. He's saying, you need to deal with the stinky, uncomfortable situations in your life with love and grace he's telling his disciples that you need to be on the lookout for the needs around you and personally go provide and so this is the example he's provided for us to follow and so then there's just more questions are you greater than your master are you greater than jesus your savior are we more wise and important than our king and of course the, the obvious answer is no and we know that to be true but every time we turn our nose up to something, right, or we let our eyes skip over the obvious problem, or we avoid that one person because you know they need help, every time we do, do those things, we're neglecting this command and ignoring Christ's example. So why might we be prevented from serving? I know there, there's a lot of reasons, um, but I came up with four that I think kind of categorize uh, a lot of ways to think about this. Number one, i can ask the question, am I really needed anyways? Right? Looking around GBC, there's so much ministry happening. People are gifted. They're serving. And you know what? I, I just don't think there's a need for me and what I can do. I'm not qualified as these people are, so I'm just going to sit this one out. Or maybe you're willing to help, but no one's asked you to do anything. And so you're just thinking, well, maybe I'm not needed. Well, brother or sister, your qualification is the blood of Christ. And if you're in this body, then you're called to serve in this body that way. And so you're part of this family. Jump in. Ask somebody how you can do that, and we'll talk through some more practical examples in a moment. But you are needed, right? You are a member of the body, and Christ has put you here for a purpose. Number two, I tried serving before, and it went horribly. Horribly. Maybe this is you when you went to threes and fours, and it just didn't work. Maybe you tried serving someone, and they rejected it, and that hurt you. And I'm sorry that that happened. I mean, we aren't always going to be perfect in our service like our Lord was perfect in his. But think of Jesus and Peter. Peter at first questioned Jesus for serving, and then once he knew what Jesus was doing, he rejected it. And that can happen here too. You can have great, loving, humble attent- intentions, and it goes sideways. And I'm sure if you talk to enough uh, saints who've been around the block, um, they will tell you that this is something that happens. But what are we to do? Are we to, to say, well, I'm never doing that again? No, we're to look to Christ and his example and to love, even when it wasn't always received favorably, but to seek to honor him in loving. What's the third reason why we might be prevented from serving? I don't know what to do. Right? I, I don't know where to serve or, or how to serve. Maybe you're a new Christian or maybe you're just new to this church and you're not sure of what service looks like and how it works in the Christian life or how it works here at GBC. And in one sense, service in the Christian life is going to look the same anywhere, but there are things at GBC that are different for how we serve. There are specific needs that are here. And so find a brother or sister who's been here for a while. Find somebody who's been growing and living in the Christian walk for, for years and ask them. Ask them, how can I serve? How can I serve Christ? Are there needs here that I can meet? Are there little things I can just do in my life? Is there, is there something that I can help with? And we'll talk about more of this, uh, more on this in a moment. But the last reason why we might be prevented from serving is because we struggle with loving others. And I think this is something that can be true in in all of us in our hearts. But as God transforms a heart of sin, grace to grow in this humble love for others. And so pray for God's grace to grow in this area. Ask somebody else to hold you accountable and to help you. So how and where can we serve right now? I think Christ's example is very helpful because we can see that he didn't just sign up for a ministry slot to wash feet. Jesus signed up to wash feet on the second Thursday of each month. No, Jesus saw a very practical need and met that need in the moment. So that teaches us that we need to be aware of our surroundings, observing the needs around us, and ministering to those needs in the moment. And the only way we can do this is really to be around one another. We need that life-on-life contact so that we can minister to one another in that way. And so are you being proactive or are you waiting for someone to ask you to help? Are you looking around and trying to serve others and find their needs and meet them? Or are you just sitting back and wondering, well, if somebody asks, yes, but right now I don't know what to do. Is there a widow or a single mom that you can minister to? Maybe your your wife just needs someone to wash the dishes so that she can have a break. Maybe there's an older saint in your fellowship group that would just love to have company on a weeknight for dinner. Maybe you need to ask your parents how you can serve in the family. This kind of loving service is practical, it's in the moment. And God gives us these situations to serve him all the time. And so pray, and he will show it to you. Still, there are other needs in our body that are more formal. Marco Silva Silva will never turn away someone who's desiring to serve on the cleaning rotation. Paula Davidson certainly has a place for those who want to help teach children on Sunday mornings. Kevin Carr would welcome having more greeters on Sunday mornings to offer that friendly smile when you walk in the door. Talk to Stacy Dunn about helping out in the parking lot. We have a lot of cars out there, you might have noticed. Price Pollander would love to have more saints join him on Wednesday nights as he ministers at the Virginian. So what am I trying to say? There are ample opportunities to serve our king by meeting needs that our body has right now. Let's look at verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. As Christians, we know these things. We've been given God's word to show us right and wrong. We've been given the spirit to prompt our consciences. And most importantly, we have a Savior who has done all these things for us. He loved us all the way to the ends. And he humbled himself to take on humanity so that he could redeem us from our fallen condition. And so we've been served in so many ways. God has given us so many uh, means to know these things. And so we do know, know these things. That's how Jesus phrases this verse. It's not a question of if we know these things. The question is, are we going to do them? And that's the question before us every single day. And it's not meant to be this sword dangling over our heads, like serve or else. But it's meant to be this prompt in our hearts to love others the way Christ has loved us. And so we need Jesus, and we need this loving grace of the gospel every day. And here, he reminds us to love like he does every day too. In closing, uh, please turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm very thankful for our church and the love of scripture that we have, the the love of doctrine and theology. And it's just a blessing to be part of a body that strives in these things, that loves these things, that grows and prays and sings through these things. Um, And I'm just also really thankful, and I know just hearing at the elders meeting this this past week, we're so thankful in one sense for all of the service that this church does for one another. Um, so for you that serve in, in the public formal ways and for all the hundreds of instances of service done behind the scenes and done in ways that we're not going to even know about until we're all in heaven together. Like that's just a wonderful testimony to God's grace uh, in this church. Uh, but this passage in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, I think is a wonderful encouragement for us to remember that a love for God's word and a love for serving like Christ are not separate ideas, but instead flow from the same source. So let's read verses 9 and 10 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. As we are taught by God's word, as we are diving into theology and considering doctrine, praying together, we are being taught by God to love one another. And this is true for this Thessalonian church, and this is true of our church here too. We also ought to be growing in our Christ-like service to one another as we grow in our knowledge of the word, And so may God grant both of these things to be true for us in our church, and that we would live this out more and more, that we'd love more and more, and that we'd be able to serve one another more and more like this. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, for Jesus and the way that he loved us. Uh, we were so undeserving of that love. And yet you, in your eternal plan, sent your son to come and die for us as sinners. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for this example of love and how it looks uh, practically. So, Lord, uh, help us to have this love. Help us to be intentional and sacrificial. Humble us uh, as we just attempt to serve you, Lord. Reveal our pride to us. And Lord, just give this body an opportunity to to love and serve one another. Uh, even this week, uh, just remind us of our heart, remind our hearts of this as we go through our day to day. As we're waking up uh, to be like Christ, and so Lord, help us in these things. In Your name, I pray. Amen.